well, as we enter this final Sunday of Advent and really prepare for the eve of Christmas, this time that Christmas Eve comes and we get to the day when Jesus, we remember his birth. Though we don't know that that's the actual time of year, it's the time we remember. And as we do that, as we prepare, I want to simply remind you of what's coming before we even get into the passage this morning, that we do have times to be. On, on Monday night, on the 23rd, we'll have a service, a Christmas Eve service in Coopersville. Maybe some of you here in this campus or in Muskegon would go, you know what, I can't be involved on the 24th, which is the rest of the services. Come out to Coopersville. We'd love for you to be a part of that. And then on Christmas Eve itself, we have services here in Spring Lake, 1, 3, 5, and 10, and then in Muskegon at 7. So again, whatever works in your calendar, we've got lots of opportunities for you. And I already want to say thank you so much for many of you who stepped up at each campus to serve on those times. We know it's one of the biggest times of year we have guests with us, and you have really said, how can I be part of this? It's been wonderful to see how you're engaging with us to serve in this way. I wanna remind you too that we have had this priority in the season of Advent to simply pray for our, our, those around us who are wandering, forgotten, forsaken, that we just love and care for who aren't around or understand who Jesus is. And we used a list we call the Frank list, the idea we pray for our friends, our relatives, our acquaintances, our neighbors, and our coworkers. And I just wanna tell you how encouraging it has been because you're, I'm running into many of you who are telling me story after story of people you've been praying for. And it, some of them have been stories like, I didn't even get to ask them about Christmas Even They just came up to me and said, hey, I know you go to church, could I join you? And just kind of jaw drop, God moved. I've had others of you who've been sharing stories of people that you just love and care for that you're reaching out to and as a part of that, engaging this way. And I wanna say thank you that you are growing in your prayerfulness and your heart for people that don't follow Christ. Because boy, we don't simply wanna be a holy huddle, do we? We wanna reach people. And I wanna tell you, continue to pray. Pray for us as we are facilitating those evenings. Pray for your friends and your family that you're reaching out to. Let's not lighten up on that. Let's engage in it more deeply in the next few days even. I mean, I have this holy anticipation that God's gonna reveal himself to people and even awaken many who already follow into deeper ways. Boy, wouldn't that be great. So pray with us. And then I'm asking you one more thing. We've been talking about it during the series and we'll kind of, it's, a, it's not central to what we're teaching, but we always speak about it. Many of you who've been around us for any length of time know on Christmas Eve, we have a unique offering that totally goes out of these doors. We don't do anything to keep it. And we have three simple focuses. We give part of a third away globally, a third regionally, and a third locally. And so we ask you just, will you pray? Would you pray and just ask God, how am I to participate in this? And so I just wanna remind you, and this fits really with where we've been because in the series in the season of Advent, the first week we looked at the role Jesus is as becoming and being king and how all of us kind of wanna be kings and queens on our own, but we surrender to a king. And from that place, we looked a bit at the geography around the coming of Jesus. We saw that the Magi came from the east, this global impact that Jesus had in this little town of Bethlehem. And so we give away globally on Christmas Eve. We're giving a half of the global part of that. The first 10,000 of that we trust will be to work in Azerbaijan to World Hope and what they're doing. It's this wonderful humanitarian group that they're helping to build schools and it helps resource and it will be doubled by what we do. And the other half of that global side, we're giving to three different families that are going on the field this year. Three families are going on the field this year. Yeah. Wow. 
the global heart's growing. And we said in that week, we think God is moving and that the more we see him and see he's a global God, the more our heart grows. And then we look at this regional capacity. We talked last week about Bethlehem and this beauty that God is there for the small and the weak and the lowly and the meek. And we said, we're to help those areas of our region that are struggling. And so that portion of the offering significantly will go uh, to Fresh Coast Alliance, which is a post-prison recovery, just a beautiful ministry that has everything from housing to job training to recovery support and is dramatically changing the trajectory of people that have been forgotten, forsaken. And then the other portion of that will go to church planting some way in some place beyond us. And then this local part that we're, we'll just see at least today, we're not gonna spend time on it, that we give in our own communities, in the Tri-Cities, we give in Coopersville and we give in Muskegon to help those around us in need. That's what this funds in the coming year. I just wanted to remind you of it while we're gonna get into the passage that I'm asking you to pray and just be generous. In 10 years, we have given away over $740,000. You have. Wow. And I just want to remind you that we continue to thank God and ask him to do more. Now, with having said that, we're going to look in this final Sunday of Advent at another aspect of the story of Jesus coming. We're going to take in now into the place he will end up. And so where we begin, we've been in chapter two of Matthew's account. There are four accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and Matthew and Luke each relate to his early life a bit. The other two do not as much. And so we're going to look at something that happens after, after Jesus is born, we're, we're now past that, and what happens is that, well, we'll take it up with where it comes. We're in chapter two and verse 19. And so it tells this part of it as Matthew shares. After Herod died, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream in Egypt. And he said, get up, take this, the child, Jesus, and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. Now, in case you don't know the rest of the story, the backstory, if we just follow Joseph's dreams, we'll get there. In case you don't know, Joseph has four dreams in the early coming of Jesus that all are significant. Now, before I even tell you about the dreams, let me just remind you, you know that God speaks in wild and crazy ways, don't you? And I wanna say that to you because we are 21st century sensible people and we tend to dismiss if God isn't reasonable. So just pause for a minute and consider that. You know that God's not reasonable, don't you? I know you're quiet here. <laughs> Coopersville, do you know that God's not reasonable? Muskegon, do you know that God's not reasonable? They're much louder, I can hear it coming back. <laughs> it's important we realize that because I, I think we tend to dismiss, don't we? Have you ever heard somebody say, I had a dream? And you're like, click, that's weird. And dreams can be weird, no, don't get me wrong. I just wanna be clear because this happens four times to Joseph and everyone's significant. So the first dream he has is after he finds out that Mary is expecting and they're not married, they're betrothed. And so it's a violation of the law of Israel. And even in his nobility and righteousness, he sets aside in his mind to divorce her quietly, to kind of move away from that in a way that doesn't shame her, but also doesn't it kind of addresses the law. Guess what happens? He has a dream. Come on, that's kind of weird, isn't it? And in his dream, the angel of the Lord comes to him. He says, hey, Joseph, this woman that you're betrothed to, what's in her is from the Holy Spirit. And this little boy, you're to name him Jesus. And by the way, he's gonna save the world. 
Now, do you know that had a change in how Joseph lived after that point in time? He stayed with her through a dream, through a dream that God gave him. Now, the second dream comes after Jesus is born. And in this dream, an angel warns him, hey, listen, Herod's out to kill your kid. Get out of here. Go to Egypt. And so they go to Egypt to be free of Herod. And Herod, and we looked at this in the first week, is so upset as a king, hearing that a Messiah is going to be born as king, he wants to take out any possibility of that affecting him because Herod was self-protective in his kingdom. He took out lots of people lots of times. Even his own wife, we found out the first week. That's very frightening for marriage, by the way. Oh, sorry, you didn't do what I wanted. Off with their head. So now we're at this third dream, and that's what Joseph is telling us. That's what we're hearing about from Matthew, is now God visits him a third time and says, hey, Joe, go back to Israel. You're safe. So let's see what happens. So he gets up. He takes the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father, Herod. He was afraid to go there. Now, in case you don't know, if you read the Bible, you'll hear Herod again and again, and there's two different Herods. This is so common in the ancient world. The emperors had the same name oftentimes, even through their lineage. So this is the second Herod. You'll read about him as you go through the gospels more in other places. But this one as well is fearful for him. Now, I want to just have you consider this for a minute. Joseph has had two dreams that have made him be saved and have protected his family. He's now in a third that God says, go back. And guess what? Even in the dream, is he still scared? He is, isn't he? In case you don't realize it, even when God moves in our lives, there will be opposition and we'll be frightened of it. Like, have you ever thought, well, if God moves, I should feel all good and it should be fine? Do you know that fear is a part of courageous mission living? Always. I don't care if God visited you directly in the Room lit up. Once that room delights and you go back into life, fear enters. I just want us to realize that. Fear is a part of the Christian life. It's how we address it and work through it and walk through it. It's just an interesting thing. It's not where we're going today, but no extra charge. You got that one on the side. So I just thought it was a very beautiful picture. So now he's at this place. He's there. He's fearful. And we continue. Having been warned in a dream... Now, this is the dream that he's warned of again. He now has got, it's another one. He's warned and told, guess what? I want you to live in this other town. It says, having warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. God still helped him in his fear. He went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was to fulfill what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene, meaning Jesus will. Now, I don't know if you realize this and how many of you reflect on the teachings of scripture, but most of the time, in fact, almost all of them, when it says to fulfill what's in the prophets, we can find a place in scripture and go there and go, oh, there it is. We, we did this last week. We looked at Bethlehem and we went back and we found a passage that says that. Do you know there's no passage that speaks of Jesus being a Nazarene? Nowhere in scripture does it say this. It's a very confusing text, to be honest, because we're not clear on it. We can't find anything in extra biblical literature. We can't find anything in other places. Now we'll come back to why we believe it and what it means, but I just want to remind you, not everything is clean and tidy. There are things we don't always understand. Now there's a lot of scholarly conjecture about this. When you look at the word for Nazareth, this Nazarene idea, it is very similar to a Hebrew word, Nassar, which fits a prophecy about Jesus. 
In Isaiah, it speaks that he will grow up as a tender shoot. That word for shoot is Nassar. It's very similar to Nazareth. And what it basically means is a place of insignificance and a place of no one noticing in kind of brokenness and lowliness. That's the idea. Now, whether we don't really know where it comes from, and that could be it, I'm just wanting you to know, not overstating it, we're not clear. But what we can look at are other accounts that explain what did they mean by this. So let me take you to John's account. John is another gospel. And we get an idea of how they saw Nazareth and what they mean by the idea that being from Nazareth was important for Messiah and how they saw Nazareth specifically. So in John's account, there are these two guys that are following Jesus, Philip and Nathaniel. And Philip is telling Nathaniel, hey, you gotta see this guy who's showing up. He clearly is the answer Moses talked about. He is the Messiah. The prophets talked about him, and they say he's Jesus of Nazareth. He just gives the quote of where he's from. Now, listen to what Nathaniel says back. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? In case you don't realize, what we are getting from this is when it says Jesus is born in Nazareth, it means he's born into, or not born, but lives in Nazareth. He's in a place of not only insignificance, but what seems to be a place you wouldn't want to be. So, so just curious, what comes to mind of places you wouldn't want to live? Go ahead, just shout a few out. Every mini campus, I won't hear in the other ones, but shout them out anyway. Detroit. Detroit. Ohio. <laughs> in case you didn't hear that where you are, it was Ohio. <laughs> to which I say amen. <laughs> to which some of you say I can't go here anymore. I love the Buckeyes. Have you ever considered what it would be like today for God to say Jesus was from Detroit or Ohio? Or for many people around the country, they might say Michigan, because they always, you ever met people in other parts of the country and you tell them from Michigan, they go, oh, oh, did you have to live there? Oh, I say, oh, are you always a jerk? That's what I say. I think it's important that we realize Matthew and John want us to understand Jesus growing up in Nazareth matters significantly. I love his response. Uh, come and see, says Philip. Hey, hey, come and see. Come and see what Jesus did in Nazareth. This guy from Nazareth, the place you think nothing would ever change, come and see how he's changing the world in a place you wouldn't think it would happen. It's a beautiful picture for us because this is where Jesus lives most of his life. And by the way, it's where almost all of his ministry happens. No place centrally, no place that we would expect him to go. And I, and I want to say it to you this way before we, we continue. We should ask ourselves when Jesus does something, what does that mean for me? Because in case you don't realize that Jesus is the second Adam, which means he corrects all of the brokenness in the world by the way he lives perfectly as both God and man, but he also shows us how to live. So if Jesus lives in Nazareth, what does that mean for us? That should be what we're asking. Not just why did Jesus live in a place that seemed nothing good would come out of, but what's it mean for where Jesus lived and what's it mean for me and how I'm to live today? It's a very unique question to ask uh, just because I think that you and I can have different patterns of how we wrestle. Many of us, when we grow up in an area like this, 
or even in our circumstances, say, you know what? God isn't gonna use me now, but when, then he'll, he'll use me. Not in this circumstance, but when I get to this place, and maybe it's not even geographical, maybe it's up and to the right, maybe it's in your influence. You think as you become more influencing, that will make a difference. Maybe it's the fact that you just say to yourself, I can't imagine God would use me in my situation. I'm not that important. Maybe later I'll become important. That's one side of it. The other is for many of us, we don't care where it is. We're just fixed on our moving ahead. And we've never considered that God made a way for you to have the same influence Jesus did in the Nazareth of your life. See, it's not for later, it's not for another place. It's right now, it's from the place we are right here, in case you don't know that God wants to change the world. It's a fascinating thing. You know where the epicenter of the world was in the ancient times of Jesus? It was Rome. That's where everything changed. Do you know that God didn't change the world from Rome? He changed it from Nazareth. Now, come on. Isn't that awesome? How many of us are looking at the world around us in despair right now at the mess we're living in? I mean, I don't think we can agree with each other, let alone people of different thoughts and understandings today. I've never seen a time we're more argumentative or more polarized in my life. And we keep hoping it'll get better in our own version of Rome. What if God wants to change the world from Nazareth? What if you are the ones Jesus wants to change the world through? What if Jesus decided to live his life in Nazareth and have all his influence around Galilee, which again, nobody cared about or thought about, and he's gonna change the world there, not everywhere else? What if we're missing it because we're looking at the wrong things and we've either substituted for something much lower, our own comfort and our own well-being, and not caught what God has for us, or we've somehow dismissed our ability to bring change or influence in the world around us. I want you to see this. It's a prophecy, one of the many about Jesus. And I think it gives image to this for us. This is speaking about him in Isaiah. He's one that prophesies many things about the coming of Messiah. It says, here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Now, if you just stop there, ask yourself, how would the chosen one bring justice to the nations? He'd go to Rome. Wouldn't he go to Rome and fix it? Isn't that what any of us would think strategically? I will put him in a strategic place and he will change the world through influence and power and strategy. Now it goes on. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. <laughs> I always wanna say, he will not write an article. He will not tweet. He will not tell everyone else how to live. He will not do, and we can go on and on about the ways we try to influence. He will not demand of others the image is so powerful. He's a bruised reed he will not break. This is just an image of this frailty and brokenness in the way that Messiah will come. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes, establishes justice on earth and his teaching the very islands will put their hope. All those places of isolation will find hope. But here's the part I just want you to focus on. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. Do you know how Jesus changed the world? In Nazareth, one day at a time, in faithfulness. 
in just the area around him, going to places no one cared about or knew, bringing his kingdom one day, one moment, one relationship at a time. You realize that's a much different picture than we want Jesus to be, don't you? And it's a much different picture than we are fighting for in most of our lives, isn't it? Here's the crazy part. Do you know where God's put all the power to change the world? In you. Every one of you. Do you know that you go to places no one else can go? When you go to work, does anyone else sit behind your cubicle? When you go to teach kids, is anyone else in that classroom? When you go to be a student in school, is anyone else sitting in your seat at your locker, at your table? When you're caring for your family at home, is anyone else in that house, in that place, postured in your neighborhood? When you're at an event or a hobby or a coffee shop or the restaurant you go to or the activities, is anyone else relating the way you do? Do you realize every one of you right now, from right where you are, God wants to change the world? That you're who he's imparted his hope to. It's not gonna happen in Rome. It's not gonna happen in a global scale from some big thing. It's gonna happen from day-to-day life and day-to-day people. I start thinking about people just that have either are or have been part of our church. I think of my own son-in-law, Evan. Evan was actually on our staff for a while. Evan was gaming and enjoying it a lot, playing online games, but he found this whole group of people that have no one else they connect to. And he just started doing it more and more and it became his new vocation. Because Evan's going places no one else goes. Right where he is right now, God's using him to help people in life. I think of many in our helping professions, our doctors and our nurses, our lab techs, all the people that work in all sorts of areas of medical help. Do you realize no one else is in the room where you are every moment of every day? One of my friends, Scott, who's part of here, is a doctor, and he does wonderful things in his medical practice, but Scott brings who he is to every person he relates to. Because Scott knows right here, right now, that's where God wants to change the world. If you're in school right now and you're a student, you realize that no one else has a class schedule you have. No one else walks and sits next to the people you sit next to in class. No one else interacts at lunch, interacts in the activities you're in the way you do. Because Jesus puts you into a place no one else can be. You want to know how God changes the world? He takes all of you, he gives you his spirit, and he says, go find Nazareth. Guess what? Where you go, that's the nook and cranny no one else can go to. Do you know there are places you go that I will never be able to get to? Now, that doesn't mean we don't invite people. We don't do all the things we do. But do you realize you will reach people no one else can reach? And sometimes my heart breaks because I think we just believe a lie that your life won't matter. Or not now. Or maybe when I become more spiritual. Or maybe when. And fear overtakes you. But the dream God gave you is I made you to change the world. And you know what? When you step out there, it'll be scary, but I'll be with you. You know, when you step out, you're gonna, you're gonna screw it up. You're gonna make mistakes. I'll be with you. That's part of the process. Did you know God does not expect you to be perfect in Nazareth? Did you know that? I, mean, I just want a little acknowledgement. Did you know that? And one of the things I found out, I, I, visited, I visit our other campuses once in a while. Just so you know, I, I've, I've done a decibel meter and Muskegon is the loudest campus we have. They say things back a lot. 
Sometimes I think I should have it recorded so I could hear it because maybe I'd even say something different. I think they're yelling at me sometimes. I just wanted to wake you up a little bit here in Spring Lake and maybe in Coopersville. Coopersville, we're a little bit more uh, subdued too. I don't know if it's the farm community, if we're all like, hey, I need to be careful. And you guys are careful too. I don't know what's wrong with me. It's getting near Christmas. A lot of stuff going on. And I'm okay if you're quiet because you need to be quiet. I just don't want you to be quiet because you're not engaged in this. Because what I'm telling you today This is really important. Listen, I could give a lot of messages over a lot of years. I think your walking into where you go that no one else can go to, your Nazareth, will change much more than I could do. And I just hate to think you believed a lie that it's later. It's when you become more spiritual. It's at another time. You step out. See, that's the thing with Joseph and all the dreams. He had to step out, you know, with every one of them. And God had to keep leading him through all the fear and all the other stuff. And I think God's the same way with us. He wants us to be faithful and we're gonna bring forth justice. (laughs) This is the crazy thing. In this messed up world we're living in, do you know I place a lot more hope in what we can do as one local church than all the powers around us in any place and any location. Because that's the way Jesus worked. He's about Nazareth, not Rome. He's about the places that people think, can anything good come from... You know that when I tell people I'm from West Michigan, if I give the city, they say, where? And I only have two hopes. If I tell them Grand Rapids, it might get their attention, just a little. I can go to sports teams, but then I have to go all the way over to Ann Arbor or Detroit. And even if I go to East Lansing, I don't know what's going to happen there. And then my only other shot is to hold my hand up and they just go, that's weird. (laughs) I think it's cool. I'm like, you get a state that looks like a hand. Sorry, yours is, you know, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> it says he's got the whole world in his. Thank you, Michigan, right there. <laughs> yeah. It's not very theological, but I, that was a response in Spring Lake. Woo! Love it. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. In faithfulness, in faithfulness, in faithfulness. You know, right now, from right where you are, God wants to change the world. Right now, from right where you are, God wants to change the world. You're Jesus to the people around you. You can go places no one else can. And don't you dare think it's not important or significant. Those of you who don't think your life matters, it's one faithful day at a time. And so I wanna cheer you on and I hope awaken you that you have missional life, whatever you do, wherever you go, whoever you know, God's given you a mission. And then I do wanna give a challenge because in our culture, let's be honest, we're some of the most comfortable people in the planet too, aren't we? And we don't like dreams that are scary And we like to just move ahead in our comfort and things to keep the status quo that life goes well and everything's safe. And I wanna shake you up (laughs) because safe is so far beneath God and comfort is so temporary and elusive. And so if you're living in that, you need to start having a dream that scares you because that's how God dreams. It will scare you. Nazareth is scary because it seems insignificant and unknown. 
but it isn't. Because right now, from right where you are, this is the second time this happened. Siri just talks to me. I have no idea what I did. Never happened in the past. It's happened twice now. Shut up, Siri. <clears throat> right now, from right where you are, God wants to change the world. And I want to pray for us with this. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit might engage in you in a deeper way. Not that you don't have him, but maybe he wants to fill you in a fresh way and ignite you to start being inspired that what's my Nazareth? What does God have for me right now from right where I am? And God help me overcome fear that I would dream what you could do instead of fear what might go wrong. You all mobilized to go where no one else can go? I have more confidence that will change the world than anything we're fretting about or arguing about somewhere else. Nazareth and Galilee, a 200 mile radius is all Jesus traveled his whole life. We can't remember a single emperor from all that history. And Jesus is grown and grown in his voice and expansiveness. You make no, no doubt about this. You will change the world. Christ will through you. If you'll say, I'm going to Nazareth right now from right where I am, one faithful day at a time. Let me pray for us. Lord, I am asking uh, in this Christmas season, God, awaken us. I pray life would move from black and white to color, that we would start seeing things we've never seen before. And Lord, I ask in the midst of that, that my brothers and sisters at each campus watching online would have a sense of a fresh filling of your spirit, of dreams given of what you want to do through them in the Nazareth you have in their own lives. And Lord, I pray they would faithfully live for you day after day. In the places they blow it and mess up, may they just receive your grace and say, moving forward. And know how proud of them you are that they'd even take a risk to make a mistake. God, I pray where any of us have settled for comfort and the status quo, that you would shake us from that. And we would begin to see those disparities, how they don't really bring change. In the places in any of us that we are so disheartened from those in power around us and the climate we're in, let us stop looking there. Stop fighting for that and start living for you. God, I pray you'd break that off of us too. We would stop putting our fear, our fight in the wrong places. And we would see you as the God of Nazareth, not Rome. God, move among us in power. And let this season of Advent bring a new season of life out of it. That we would be a part of changing the world around the little places we go, every nook and every cranny in your name. Amen.